Okay, everybody, welcome to an episode of the Discernible Interviews here with an old friend of mine, Tim Van Winkle. The reason why we're talking to Tim is because Tim lives in Canada. Uh, Tim, can you tell me exactly where in Canada you live? I live in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Which is where the center of the Freedom Convoy truck protest occurred, right? Correct. So, yes, we are the capital city of Canada, the Washington, D.C. of Canada, if you will. And yes, it is where the trucker protest, the main one, took place. Okay, so to give everyone a bit of a background on this conversation, I've known Tim for a few years, uh, and I don't actually know where he stands on the trucker protest. He tells me, he, he briefly said, look, I'm not sure we're on the same page here, so we may end up in a debate here, which is going to be fun. I don't know what he's going to say. What we're going to do is we're going to ask Tim, what is it like living in the midst of this protest? What is the general feel in the Canadian community? What is their opinion of Trudeau, at least from his perspective? And, and what is their opinion of the COVID response and so on? Let me start first, Tim, by reading a couple of quotes. Uh, one from Justin Trudeau, <clears throat> one from our Premier, and one from AOC, everyone's favorite politician. Okay, so let's start with our premier here in Australia, uh, in Victoria, Dan Andrews. He said that, uh, this is back in 2016, uh, he was talking about South African apartheid. This, is all, this all blends into why the truckers claim they're protesting, okay? So he, he says 56 years ago, the South Africans were divided based on ID cards at all times, and he calls it a grotesque kind of internal passport. And then he, our premier claims that this is what happens to a country that completely loses its moral compass. Then we go to Justin Trudeau, who said, when a government starts trying to cancel dissent or avoid dissent is when it's rapidly losing its moral authority to govern. He was quoting, of course, Harper in 2005, who was running against at the time, and Justin Trudeau eventually won. And what I find interesting about these two quotes, uh, Tim, is it seems to me I don't even know where you stand on this yet, but it seems to me our leaders would say one thing and then when the situation turns for them politically, they would say the exact opposite and they would do the opposite. This is what I understand is happening in Canada, but please enlighten me. Is it as bad as we think? Is it Trudeau being a bad man? What is going on over there? Right. So, so let me let me set the scene a little bit first of mm. where Ottawa is and how it's located in the country. So, first of all, uh, Canada is separated by all these different provinces, the equivalent of, of U.S. states. Uh, and where Ottawa is located is right on the border of Ontario and Quebec, two different provinces. And Ontario is, for the most part, English speaking, and Quebec is, for the most part, French speaking. And so the capital city is Ottawa, uh, and overall, we're actually a very bilingual city. So most people do speak both English and French uh, in the city, or at least uh, claim to, uh, to get the, the, the right government jobs. Right. So where the apartment buildings are located in, in the city is, is, well, in the downtown core. And uh, there's highways running east and west through the city. And then there's bridges. This might be my little one coming in to say hi, by the way. That's right. Hello. So can you let daddy do this, please? Thank you. Uh, and then where the downtown core is, there's actually five bridges that are going across from Ontario to Quebec. And then right. there's like free traffic going this way. So. Uh, like as citizens, we might go uh, and eat on the on the French speaking side, 
but then gas is cheaper on our side, right? There's might be a certain type of uh, booze or liquor that you want. So you go to the other side or, or vice versa, right? So it's, it's free traveling. Right. Where the truckers were located in the downtown core is a mixture of, of government buildings where people uh, have to go to work. There's a mixture of uh, other government buildings that are actually need to be open for the functioning of our country. Um, there's small businesses, large businesses, and then tons of residential areas, right? So um, where the truckers were parked, we're blocking a lot of the bridges going to and from uh, across the country. There's five mm-hmm. essential bridges and three of them were 100% blocked off by these truckers. Right. Uh, and then in terms of where they were uh, occupying, you know, we use that word. Yep. Um, a lot of the, the government buildings can be accessed, mm-hmm. uh, which most people uh, weren't against because uh, most people were working from home. But the large residential community, um, you know, couldn't leave their homes or if they did, couldn't get back. So that's where the problem really started. What do you mean by couldn't leave their homes? They could walk outside, but you mean they couldn't drive anywhere? Right. Yeah. So it was, it was literal gridlock. So picture um, two, three-lane roads, yeah. and the trucks would be parked. Um, and this was done very deliberately, where the the uh, both lanes of traffic couldn't move anywhere, right? The trucks were parked like this yeah. far apart. You yeah. couldn't even walk between them. Okay. Now you've of course seen a couple of reports we did from what information we had on Canada, trying to to show what the truckers uh, claim that they're protesting against. And if everyone wants to watch that report, the link is in the description below. Uh, now you watched that. How accurate or inaccurate did you find it? What what was your understanding of why they were protesting? Yes, yeah, so that that's an interesting discussion because it's something that morphed uh, as time went on. So mm. the original. I don't know what you call it, memorandum of understanding that was sent out for the truckers and how they gained momentum from driving across the country mm-hmm. was to protest vaccine mandates, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I believe we have pretty similar requirements where, you know, there's vaccine passports in order to get into different restaurants, mm-hmm. uh, concerts, any type of community event, you have to have a vaccine passport to say you got it. Uh, but then also there's a lot of workplaces that started the mandate that in order to come into the office, um, yes. you did have to be uh, vaccinated. And if you couldn't come into the office and your job required that, you know, uh, talks had to be had, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, in general, Canadians are pretty nice and there's always uh, ways around stuff. But on paper, it, it did seem aggressive, right? So that was the initial mm-hmm. way that they gained momentum. And then once some truckers arrived, uh, people had different side agendas, right? And then there's different leaders that sort of popped up. Then it came to, you know, we don't like Justin Trudeau as our prime minister. Uh, there's other groups that saying we actually want to overthrow the government, kick out the current uh, governments and put in our own leaders, uh, which is quite, quite aggressive. Uh, and then, you know, other stuff, right? There was uh, U.S. politics that were drifting in, um, QAnon stuff, uh, et cetera. Okay, so, so this is interesting. Overall, there was no clear agenda. Yes, and I suppose this is why BJ Richter, who came out on Jordan Peterson's channel and his daughter Michaela Peterson's channel, to say exactly what they wanted. So BJ Richter is the uh, one of the on the board of the organizers of the Freedom Convoy 2022 movement. Um, how how much 
do you, do you trust what he's saying? Because he was saying, we do not want to overthrow the government. That's what elections are for. Or are you simply saying that, yes, he may, he may have been good, but it just in the end splintered and you just had lots of different competing interests? Yeah. So overall, there was tons of competing interests. Um, I think if you went down to speak to some of the, the convoy participants, uh, a lot of them, you know, didn't know what their ultimate goal was, right? They just said, hey, this looks pretty fun. You know, really? F the government, let's be part of this, right? right. Um, the, from my experience with interacting with uh, people that were supporting this movement, yeah. uh, I would equate them to, uh, let's say, the, the similar vibe, the similar interests of, of the Trump supporters in the US, right? So, right. Uh, tons, a uh, huge following for, for Trump in the United States, yep. but, you know, in general, the, my feeling at least, right. The, the views and lines that that group has is sort of all over the place. Right. And that's what I would equate this, this trucker convoy movement to. So, so when this big Instagram page, freedom convoy 2022, and when this, one of these organizers comes out and says stuff like this, is there, um, is that voice a bit weak? They're not obviously setting the narrative. Mm -hmm. So I guess through this, there's been some self-proclaimed leaders of the trucker convoy right. uh, and then others that just happen to have, I don't know, be a well-spoken individual. Yes. Uh, and there ended up being like seven to nine official heads of the freedom convoy. Right. So each one of them right. had, you know, some shared interests, but something different, right? They all were trying to compete to be the, the lead person, right. uh, which also explains how there's all these different, you know, groups that also got involved or, or people, why people decided to join this. Okay. And what was your sense of, so this, the, the only one I saw of the nine was BJ Richter, right? And he's fully vaccinated. So how much did you find were like that? And how much were actually more the anti-vaccination sentiment type, the usual crowd? Hmm. Um, I would say the anti-vaccination was, was strong. And to say that there's people that were participating there and to say that 100% of them were non-vaccinated or unvaccinated uh, is not true, right? There's a lot of people that went through the vaccination process in Canada because, you know, it was at a convenience, right? If you don't have it, uh, you know, your life is is very inconvenienced by not doing that. So there's a lot of people that did it, but they didn't necessarily believe in, in the full process and, and, you know, almost being mandated to, right? So like it was, you're voluntold, but you always had the option to not to, but if you're if you didn't, your, your life was very difficult. So there's a decent amount of Canadians. Um, I wouldn't say large, like <laughs> just throw a random percent, like 3% or something, right? But enough of people that were vaccinated that said, I'm just doing this because I don't want to be inconvenienced, you know? Okay. Uh, and then there's, I don't know. I think they're in Canada in general, 90% vaccination rate. 10% right. unvaccinated, right? right? And then out of that 90%, not all of them are fully vaccinated, but yeah. uh, like a decent um, cohort of people decided to, to get vaccinated. So those 10% okay. group uh, was largely represented in this trucker convoy. Okay. And what was the community's feelings towards, you've described the inconvenience that they've caused. 
uh, what was the community's reaction to it? Because uh, let me read, <clears throat> excuse me, let me read AOC's quote because <clears throat> I'll get the political reaction. Now, I know AOC doesn't re represent everyone, but I did find a, a lot of people, including Biden, who was commenting on it and Trudeau saying that uh, you can't um, inconvenience and prevent people from living their lives like this. But if you look back on their histories, as recent as December 2020, people like AOC have said the whole point of protesting is to make people uncomfortable. Activists take that discomfort with the status quo and advocate for concrete policy change. To folks who complain protest demands make others uncomfortable, that's the point. And we've also had this from the Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House in the US. So I know the political reaction. What is the general public reaction and view of it? Mm -hmm. Um, overall, extremely against the, the trucker convoy, especially oh. the people that live downtown. Mm -hmm. uh, but Ottawa has, uh, within Canada, the stereotype of, you know, Ottawa is the place that, that fun goes to die, right? We don't get all the cool <laughs> concerts, you know, where this, this city of, you know, federal government workers, uh, and if you're not involved in the government, your business that you're involved in somehow makes money from the government. Mm. You know, we have um, municipal government here, federal or provincial government here. We have the federal government here. We have all sorts of different branches. You know, we're a very government and pro-government type of town, right? So in general, there's a lot of buy-in for any type of, of government movement here just because people are involved in the machine, right? Uh, and if it's not directly you, then maybe you're your spouse. If not your spouse, then maybe you're your neighbor, right? Like uh, it's just, it's part of our community. So um, we'll start off with that. Plus, um, I don't know how to explain this, but the to go back to this comparison to the Trump movement, right? Mm -hmm. Of of the the type of organizing and sort of the type of of direct messaging that the Trump movement had and those supporters, right? They were sort of all over the place. Mm -hmm. To compare that back here, right, where there would be a a Trump rally uh, happening in some sort of town, right. And then afterwards, the community is saying, well, that actually wasn't a very good experience for us. Mm -hmm. Although there are a lot of very nice people, right? Uh, it seemed that this trucker convoy could easily be agitated, right? They were coming in with, you know, the fish already shaking, right? Nice people, right? And until, until you, you take them off, right? Yeah. So to, to have these truckers, you know, parked in our town, right? Mm -hmm literally blocking off the streets, but then also shouting back, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not um, uh, going into the businesses, not wearing masks, right? And then mm -hmm. um, sometimes aggressively, but even just standing up to say, hey, I don't have to wear masks. This is why we're here, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, to then uh, people walking up and down the streets, you know, maybe going home or just going to the grocery store, uh, and then these protesters are trying to speak to them. Why are you wearing a mask, right? Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's more harassment going on uh, in general. And then also the, right? Like it, and it just kept on escalating from there. So um, I wouldn't say there's anybody in the city, uh, especially living downtown, that I know that, that said, hey, we're really thankful that there's this protest going on.
Okay. So <clears throat> this is interesting because the, from the trucker's side, they would say we are being harassed, like we're being forced. We can't work anymore unless we're vaccinated and we don't want to mm. be, or we want to have the freedom to not wear a mask and why and so on. Um, and you're telling me that this part of Canada and this part of Ottawa is quite government centric and pro Trudeau and so on. So are they simply seeing them as, as, as rebels that they shut them down? They would have then welcomed the emergencies act that Justin did. Right. Yeah. So I, I see, I see how this is building up. So the, I guess the, the agenda of the, the truckers was unclear then coming in and I, I guess another comparison, right. To the, to the Trump, the, the Trumpers in the U S is that, uh, you know, he sort of ran the government like nobody else did before. And the Trump rallies were nothing like before. And the Trump supporters are usually the people that don't participate in government. Right. right. So compare that to this trucker movement, right. They, they showed up to protest, but, you know, it wasn't a typical protest because these people have never um, participated in a protest before, right? So right. how would they know how a typical protest went, right? So yeah. um, it evolved into a protest that Ottawa has never seen before, right? So there, there's protests literally all the time. Uh, a couple of days a week, there's some group that marches through downtown mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of inconvenience for an hour, two hours while people mm-hmm. stroll by. Uh, you know, there's a police escort to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the protesters aren't uh, being harassed or that there's no cars coming through the crowd, et cetera. And then the crowd disperse and, you know, Ottawa's used to that, right? But this yeah. is a different type of protest yeah. where, you know, they weren't marching per se. They were parked, which was an inconvenience, uh, but they weren't, you know, the typical protesters. And the outcome was not a typical protest. And that sort of shocked Ottawa as well, right? Uh, so then to go through to the, the emergencies act to remove these protesters, uh, it wasn't like this was, it, it went from one day to, um, they arrived and then the next day that the emergencies act, right. Yeah. There was a very clear documented escalation of asking, you know, this group to leave. Um, you know, <laughs> I guess the other interesting thing uh, which makes uh, no sense from like the agenda of the trucker convoy is that the mandates for uh, masking, right? Yes. And a lot of the mandates for uh, vaccination yes. are sort of started, you know, there's a general overview from the federal government, but they're actually implemented on a provincial level. Yes. So for the border, et cetera. And most of our provincial government is not located in the city of Ottawa. Yes. So they came to protest about vaccines and masking, right? Yep. In the wrong spot. Okay. <laughs> As opposed to going to the center of the province, provincial governments. Correct. Where where it could be changed. Right. Well, interesting also is that during, in the last sort of three quarters of their protest, uh, the provinces started to drop a lot of the mandates. Right. Which was not because of the trucker convoy at all. It was, it was sure? scheduled no. to happen. I'm a hundred percent sure. Yeah. So back in, um, back in September, they said, Hey, you know, we're going into more waves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our goal is by March 1st is to lift all mandates. And this was, this was publicly stated back in September. So I I would equate this to uh, the war in Afghanistan, right? What happened is when troops would, would leave the village, 
um, and this is sorry, United Nations troops, then as the troops were leading, uh, leaving the village, the Taliban would come out and shoot over the heads of the soldiers. So it looks like the Taliban were driving the soldiers out, right? So I would equate this to what, what, what the protesters were doing is they showed up exactly when the mandates were going to be lifted and then they took credit for it, you know? Okay. Uh, how, there's a lot of distrust, at least in this part of the world, when politicians say we're going to lift by this date, both left-wing governments and right-wing governments, everybody in this part of the world, Australia, New Zealand, they always move the goalposts. So forgive me if even I am very skeptical that they would have followed through in um, right. in Canada. Um, can I ask? Yeah, I, I would say I would say this this protest had um, uh, very little influence on these mandates being lifted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sorry, I didn't mean to skirt your question about the Emergencies Act. Oh yeah, let's go into say, that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And I would say in general, um, no Canadian wants to see the Emergencies Act um, actioned. E- hang on, um, even the Ottawa, you know pro-government type people yeah like it, it, it doesn't get it doesn't get implemented for good reasons right so nobody wants to see it implemented uh you know this wasn't something that was actually really affecting the entire country either it was just sort of a, an ottawa specific um incident although there were protests happening uh, at some border towns as well yes but the the police were able to handle that right whereas in in ottawa specifically uh, the police were not able to to handle um, the these protesters. They weren't able to make the move. They weren't able to make them stop. They weren't able to have conversations. So the reason why the Emergencies Act was implemented, uh, and and to go back to say that this happened in stages, was uh, the city first declared the city of Ottawa first declared a state of emergency, uh, and then that sort of allowed more police to be brought in to then. Um, depending, I guess, on what side of the fence you, you look at uh, to help push the protesters out or if you're on the side of the protesters to say, hey, they're here to bully us and, you know, kick us out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that wasn't quite enough, right? So then the province uh, declared some state of emergency uh, and that allowed more forces to be brought in. And then the federal government, the state, it, uh, brought in the Emergencies Act which allowed or I guess brought in the option that the military could get involved as well. And I think that was enough to start to, to spook uh, some of the organizers of the protests. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, in the end, there was a lot of forces that were involved to, to sort of push these protesters out of the city. Yeah. There was local Ottawa police. There was uh, the RCMP, which is sort of our, our national police force. Uh, there's police forces brought in from nearby cities. Uh, there was, uh, we have other like federal, um, police forces here, uh, in regards to Parliament Hill, they have their own police force. Um, I think the national capital commission has uh, its own forces. Uh, anyways, everybody was involved to, uh, to sort of drive, um, these truckers away from their vehicles, including point, the bank trucks come in. Yeah, including the, some of the things that I mentioned in those reports that I, I made. Um, how do Canadians yeah. feel about, you just said that um, they're not crash hot on the whole Emergencies Act being used. 
what do they feel about what's actually happened to some of the organizers like bank accounts frozen? There's one connection I have on LinkedIn who he donated a hundred bucks or something to the um, protest and he never went to any of them and his accounts were frozen and his wife's credit score dropped a hundred and something points. I don't understand how your credit scores work over there, but 150 point drop and she didn't donate. So this is an interesting uh, incursion into people's right. private lives. So I, I personally don't know anybody that had frozen bank accounts. My understanding mm-hmm. as just a normal citizen in Canada is that only business accounts were truly frozen. So if your business account and personal account are all in one, uh, well, it was frozen, right? But if you donated from your business account and you have a separate personal account, then then you should be able to still you know, live, live your life, so to speak. Um, How do Canadians feel about that though? Because what, and, why I ask I is- also, Yeah, and I would also think that if, if you only donated from a personal account, that it would not have been frozen. So if your account is, is labeled as business, then, then there was a risk of that. So yeah, so your deputy prime minister, the, the lady, I can't remember her name, she has said if she's included private accounts in her announcement, whether they did that or not, I don't know, but the announcement was that it would private and, pub, uh, and business accounts. But how do Canadians feel about this? Because it's in Australia, for example, when we have things like this come up, not to that extent, but when we have the government doing some extraordinary things, there's a bunch of freedom, crazy freedom people like myself saying that's not right no matter what. Even if you want to hug, protest against climate change, whatever, we should not freeze your bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the people who support the government, uh, they, they, they don't sound like you. You're sounding fairly um, rational, like you're saying, hey, it's not nice. Maybe if you use your personal account, they say, screw them, get them, cancel them. They're really angry and they're okay for any level of big government to come in and squash something they don't agree with. What I want to know is whether Canadians have that same divide in the community and whether they are willing for the government to do whatever it wants. Because that's the fear. If Justin can do this and he has support, what if he can do more and he'll still have support to do whatever it Mm -hmm. takes? Right. So you're asking if this is a precedent for for future government control then, right? Well, I, I know it's a precedent if the people support it. I want to know if the general people support it because I don't trust okay. the media as much as I used to. I want to know what you're picking totally. up. Right. Um, yeah, so on, we'll say, the the daily social channels, uh, which are probably spent far, much t- far too much time uh, scrolling through. There's not this huge public outcry uh, saying, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Um and it, it hasn't had a whole lot of other media attention. Um, I would say that if there was somebody who was pro, pro trucker convoy to begin with, mm-hmm. uh, they might have spoken out to say, hey, why are these accounts being frozen? Mm-hmm. But anybody who was against the trucker convoy hasn't then gone out of their way to say, hey, why are these accounts being frozen? So I would say in general, it's probably not being supported, but right now nobody nobody cares, right? They just sort of want yeah. that part of <laughs> our twenty two history, uh, twenty twenty two history to be gone, you know. Okay. And and to finish up on the what, and we'll get into the why next. So the trucker convoy is now it's all been moved out, and Ottawa's back to normalish normal. See, n- not quite. So um, I haven't seen this with my own eyes, but picture you know a big city. And then outside of the perimeter, there's all these little towns. Mm-hmm. Um, um, 
I have friends that, that live out of the city as well. And they say that there's trucks still parked around the perimeter of the city, right. uh, ready to come back as soon as the police have, have sort of eased up with their patrols of downtown. Okay. So my question now is to the, you know, the, the why behind all of this, um, what, how these truck protest protesters, what could they have done? I, I find it easy for me to side with either side. I can side with them and say they're going to inconvenience Ottawa because their livelihood's being threatened. And I can side with the, every other Canadian saying, look, they're only 10%. They need to, the mandates were coming off anyway. But when you try and empathize with both sides, there's a real clash there of values. Like one side is telling them, just go home, it'll all be okay. And they're saying, no, that's what we've been doing for two years and it's not okay. I can't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ha- how, um, what, were they, what should they have done, do you think, from, from at least the perspective of Canadians who think it was all going away, they're being a bit silly? Should they just stay home and trust the government? Is that what we're saying? Yeah. So I, I think where the, the line was, uh, was crossed was not that the protests started, right? right. Um, although, you know, there are articles saying that there was lots of other groups that were influencing this trucker um, convoy as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Nazi affiliations and uh, there are like separatist movements uh, within Canada as well. Right. Uh, and they were influencing the, the script of the convoy. So it did actually start out on a, on a bad note. Right. Uh, but the longer that these uh, truckers stayed within the city to make their point, right? Yes. So what, what Ottawa would have preferred to have seen is that they came in, stayed for a couple of days, inconvenienced the city, yeah. made their point, yeah. and then left, and then let the organizers and the different levels of government, you know, work things out to say, hey, you've been heard, you know, can we talk about this? Right. Except as a whole, they said, no, we're going to stay and just continue to inconvenience until this is resolved, right? They, and then yeah. at that point, it turned into more of an occupation because A, uh, so, you know, some of these talks don't happen super fast, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, unless the police stepped in, they would still be here, right? And it could have gone on for months sort of thing, right? Yeah. So that's, that's really where they lost the general public's what little buy-in they had was vanished when, when they, you know, they weren't following, you know, some sort of reasonable timeline. Okay. So were you talking about de-escalation at the end? So you stay for a few days and then go, why did your prime minister and government not go and talk to them? Cause I, I remember seeing them calling for exactly what you're saying. We've been here for three days or a week, whatever mm-hmm. we want to talk, come and talk to us at least some of the more rational parts of our movement, right? Come and talk to us. Uh, but then Justin didn't just not talk to them. He did what our leaders um, did here. With it. We had a big violent protest in Melbourne where we smashed up one of our union shops uh, and the head of the union did the same thing as Justin. Instead of not talking to them, he literally went on radio with thousands of people outside and called them na- uh, Nazi man babies and neo-Nazi and just slandered them. That's mm-hmm. what Justin did. He came out and said that some bad, he didn't say Nazis, he said some other choice words about them instead of talking. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he, inf- you know. he, he inflamed the situation. So I'm not sure how they could have done anything except rolled over and quit. Right. Uh, and yeah, it all stems out that they showed up to the wrong spot, right? What mm-hmm. they were protesting and what they wanted to talk about initially uh, was <laughs> the wrong spot, right? It's like saying, hey, I want to, um, 
whatever. I want to protest, um, I don't know, the electric vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. And you show up to a grocery store, right? Like you're just in the wrong spot. Um, So yeah, you know, so the part that Justin Trudeau of of this movement's agenda, the part that, the only part that he could have addressed was the small group of them that said, hey, we want to oust you as prime minister and put on our own leaders, right? I wouldn't and talk to them. That's come, not, no. Why would you come to the table for that, right? Let's no, talk why about vaccine he... mandates and, and policies and cross-border. All that would, would have been the provincial government, which was not not where they were. Yes, but you, you just said earlier that they should have done a protest for a few days and then backed off, then had chats with people. You're talking about the provincial governors and so on. But right. then they with Justin, for example... He, he didn't just say, look, I'm not going to, it's not in my purview, go talk to the governor. He just attacked them. So, right. But that was also after several weeks of them not only being, you know, in the downtown core of the city that he lives and, and loves, yeah. uh, they were right outside of his house, you know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, if I were in his shoes, there's no way I would have gone to the table. You wouldn't have talked to them. No, not not at all. Um, you know, it was more of a, you know, it really depends kind of where I guess you get get the information. Yeah. Uh, but in my personal experience, you know, again, these were not um, uh, the usual protesters, right? But yeah. they also weren't coming to the table with like, hey, here, let's have reasonable discussions, right? They were saying, hey, it sounds really cool to drive to the city and try to overthrow the government and be disruptive yeah. uh, and they were having a great time doing it. You know, they weren't sure. necessarily there to, to actually have, you know, uh, fruitful discussions. Right. So it, it, I guess if the leaders were going into the room, then that would also send a message to say, if you drive to the city and clog everything up, you know, you might get to meet the prime minister. Right. Like that's, that's kind of a weird message too. Okay. I'm not seeing much other option for them. Okay. So let's go with what they should have done. Okay. You're saying they should have gone right. to the provincial governance, government centers, done the same thing, have a three-day protest, do a mini occupation, whatever the usual stuff. And then what back down and have, and get a meeting with the provincial governors. That would have been the mm-hmm. right way. Um, yeah. That would have had perhaps a better uh, outcome of maybe getting a meeting. Uh, but then also having, you know, a clear direction of why people are there uh, would have also been very helpful, right? Like, um, uh, it, like from my perspective, it was just a bunch of clowns that rolled in in their trucks and <laughs> camped out in the city for like three weeks, right? Okay. But if it's, yeah. if a lot of people are seeing it, if a lot of people are seeing it that way, that is a bunch of clowns who just piled on, uh, how... I'm, I'm, how do you explain the the people who were there? Because they, you know, I've seen interviews with these guys who lost their ability to earn. Like I can't, I find it very difficult to just lump them all into the box of deplorables mm-hmm. or clowns or whatever. Right. Uh, so it, I guess in general, right, the to be a trucker in Canada, uh, there's a ton of licensing, right, that you have to yeah. have in terms of um, uh, driver's licenses. You have to have health and safety regulations, you have to have all these things just to be a driver in Canada. And then as soon as you cross into United States, which is what some of these, um, what some of the truckers were protesting, saying, hey, you're not allowing me to to drive across. 
Uh, then you also have to comply with rules that are set out on the U.S. side as well, mm-hmm. which included vaccination, right? So even mm-hmm. if, even if, right, they got to meet with the provincial government, and even if they got to meet with the federal government, and even if, right, mm-hmm. uh, even if we drop some of our regulations within Canada yeah. uh, because of this protest, uh, then you would still need the U.S. to also say, hey, you don't need to be vaccinated in order to cross the border, right? Right. Like, right. Uh, and what are, what are we going to do? Say, hey, you know, go down and meet with Joe Biden. Uh, you know, uh, here's his number, right? Uh, so I, I honestly just think the whole thing was not was not planned out. Huh? Okay. Uh, can we talk about bias, our own biases, yours, mine, everyone's? Uh, have you have you thought about this? I mean, I question myself on how how much I watch this Instagram account, they're, they're fully going to be biased one side, side, right? Then I watch the mainstream media, the, what do you call CBC, whatever it's called in Canada, and they're fully, mm-hmm. you know, with Trudeau. And so I'm aware that I'm not getting the full picture from anyone, really. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering how much of my opinions towards like the trucker protests and others are, are my own and how much are being fed to me from like this Instagram totally. account or, fr- or from the CBC. Have you self-examined your opinions on this and, and made some discoveries on that, some thoughts around that? Yeah, so all of the, we'll call it the mainstream media within Canada is certainly very pro, uh, not pro-vaccination, but encouraging people to do the right thing to get vaccinated and do that, right? Mm-hmm. And then any um news source that says otherwise is certainly not considered mainstream. And then, um, you know, there's always that, that label on the bottom, uh, that says, you know, this is, um, uh, please read about COVID-19 vaccines yeah. from the government of Canada, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I certainly have, um, uh, people that I'm connected to through social media, um, that are on the other side of the tracks and, you know, uh, very vocally against uh, mask mandates and very vocally against vaccine mandates. Uh, so much so, let's say, you know, out of a uh, hundred followers, right. Uh, two of them would be uh, anti mask, anti vaccine and the other 98 are, are, you know, okay with it or pro, right. Those two people post like every 10 minutes, right. So yes. your feed, you know, right. Yes. Yes. Uh, looks like, hey, there, you know, there's tons of people that are against this, but if you sort of look into it, it's only Loud. two out of a hundred kind of thing, right? Um, and you know, on on one hand, you know, it's a little bit difficult to change the pro people's minds, right? Because you know, theoretically, we've had all the information, read everything through, and made our decision. Uh, but there's certainly no chance in hell that you're going to change these other people's minds, right? Like mm-hmm. they're no matter what, they're 100 against this. Right. Okay. So, in so terms of, I would say that the the bias, yeah. um, you know, is is there just because the uh, in in general, right? Ninety percent of Canada is already vaccinated, right? So, yes. what's what more changing do we do we need? You know. What What do you mean? Already happened. We, we, everybody's already made up their mind. You know. Yes, but it's ongoing. So we're now mandating booster three here in Australia, in Victoria. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, shot number three, so the first booster. So it goes on, and and the and the 
this question is not solved just because we have 95, 96% vaccinated here in Victoria and you said 90% in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a live question. And I'm wondering whether people are questioning themselves on their bias because I mm-hmm. certainly certainly am and I'm hoping they are too to right. make sure that they have the, the truth. Yeah. So uh, in my like personal experience, um, whenever uh, one of these members uh, shares something, um, I do I do read it, uh, but I actually kind of go in there and saying like, "Hey, I wonder how like uh, how wacko some of this stuff is, right?" Mm. Uh, and I sort of go in there looking to to debunk it, right? I'm not necessarily engaging in conversation because that turns um, mm. uh, I don't know unfriendly uh, pretty fast in general. Uh, but as soon as something I see something, I, I, I enjoy digging into it to see how fast I can sort of debunk it kind of thing, right? So I, I certainly have a bias. Yeah. Has your faith in the institutions changed all throughout any of this? So some of the arguments that you would, because you're reading their stuff when they quote the CDC going back on themselves or, you know, this kind of stuff. Does any of that um, change your view on the trust that we as Canadians and Australians generally have in our institutions? Yeah, so I, I would love to read uh, more people sharing information about the, these um, trustworthy government organizations backtracking on themselves. I find a lot of the content that's shared in support of anti-vaccination uh, is like people like recording videos in like the front seat of their cars, right? Or like, you know, in like an alleyway behind a building, you know, like, yeah. The the settings of these you know self proclaimed experts, and to me, don't say like, hey, like I, you know, understand the science, right? It's just people asking a bunch of questions that, you know, they don't know the answer to, right? Um, you you kind of yeah, get what so, I'm saying, right? Like it's it's, yeah. it's not like somebody sitting in like a laboratory saying, hey, I'm sitting in a lab, you know, this stuff is actually really crazy, right? I would maybe listen to that. It's people like. You know, hanging out in the in the woods, right? Yes, but this is not it's the people not- I'm talking about. I'm talking about the experts that have been shunned by the mainstream. So, uh, traditionally, they're appearing on places like Joe Rogan and um, Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson, who mm-hmm. um, who are talking more to a right wing crowd. Yes, but the people coming to them are lefties, like Tim Pool, that journalist, full on lefty, and they've got experts coming on there saying, "Hey, I was I'm from Harvard." This is, I'm from Harvard Medical School. I was amazing until last year. Now I'm persona non grata. Um, you know, and one of the guys I interviewed is so pro-vaccine, it's not funny. He invented a, a protein-based vaccine, took it himself, but he's been cancelled. He's a professor and a practicing doctor here in Adelaide. Uh, he's been cancelled off social, off, off everything. So mm. I'm talking about those people because it sounds like you're more on board with what the government's been messaging than I am. And so I'm yeah, asking overall, you- for sure I am, yeah. Yeah, so I'm asking whether some of these experts have changed the way you think, because they certainly mm-hmm. have for me. Right. Um, so I would say that the anti-vaccine content that I've been exposed to from uh, from my circle is is not of these, you know, once experts that are no more because of other views. Um, you know, I've been exposed to content that. Uh, to me is not coming from a credible source. Um, and therefore so, that, that takes away any type of, of argument that I would find logical or reasonable. 
Yeah, we're on the same page. That they're crazy. So don't worry about it. They're rubbing spoons on their shoulder and saying I'm magnetized. Forget it. Have you seen any of these experts I'm talking about? Like, no, no. Like- yeah, honestly, uh, I, I've not viewed uh, any of that type of content. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, there's no point really talking about that if you haven't seen it. But, you know, there are a bunch of um, professors and things that have come out like that. Do you, are you aware of the Great Barrington Declaration, that kind of thing? Yeah, I believe I've seen it. It's, it's a bunch of, uh, it's like a, a petition, if you will, of, of doctors saying, I am against uh, this process and people are signing that, right? It's like an online. Yeah, but where it came right? from, founded by these five people, you know, um, leading professors from Cambridge, Stanford, Harvard, Harvard Medical School. Anyway, not, not that important if we're, we haven't both seen it. Uh, can I ask you about Canadian... Um, How's the feel in general, I guess, towards the whole COVID response, everything? It sounds like you're saying most Canadians are pretty okay with what the government's been doing for two years. Yeah, obviously we would love to um, be able to move on and go back to uh, normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so in where I am, in the province of Ontario, uh, which is the most populated province uh, within Canada, uh, we literally just came out of any type of lockdown at the start of March. Yeah. So there's no more vaccine passports. Uh, there is, um, I guess that's the main thing, right? And if you do contract uh, any form of COVID-19, uh, the isolation period is only five days, right? Like it's pretty, it's pretty lifted. So you still have to wear masks for now. Yeah. Uh, and then later on in the spring, they'll, they'll review that. Uh, but things are, are pretty, pretty open right now. You can go into any restaurant, you can go into any community center, you can go into concerts, everything's starting up again. Why, why uh, is so that think, when we've got cases exploding there and here? Why that was right. terrible? <laughs> this is 100% ago. politically motivated, not um, science motivated. So we are having a provincial election coming up in June. Right, uh, and so they're sort of building up momentum and support for that. Oh, okay, so okay, yeah. so they're let, they're letting us free, not because the science says it's safe to now, right? But politically, okay. So why, if if you're you seem very aware of that fact, which is quite obvious in any government, it's all about politics. Uh, why then are you and other Canadians more trusting of government when you know it's all about politics, or mostly? Mm. I don't know how to answer that. Uh, so let's talk out loud. So the, I guess, I don't know. Well, we, we have a history. I don't history even know how to answer. I don't even know where to start. Well, let's talk it out, right? So we have a history in Australia and New Zealand. I grew up in a trusting government. Like they're generally there to help. They're generally mm-hmm. there. Some of them might be dodgy, but overall they look out for us. But then when you see like what you're saying, they're lifting mandates politically. I then start to wonder, but when they smashed us with whatever mandate two years ago, and we couldn't go more than five kilometers from our house, and find, you know, one of a business owner friend of mine has a restaurant in the city, got fined ten thousand dollars for not putting up a, for getting to put up one of the A4 signs in the window saying make sure you wear your mask, and she's going to court now, ten thousand dollars. Um, I'm starting to uh, wonder how we can trust them the way we did growing up when clearly it's, it's just, 
it's mostly political theater. It's not about the sciences they keep claiming. So I find it interesting talking to someone like you who might say, yeah, I generally trust them, but at the same time, you know that they're not acting with the best of intentions or the best of data or best of science. Okay, so when we'll go back to to the beginning of the pandemic, right? Mm. Uh, And I think it's it's important to note that it wasn't one country doing something crazy or extra, you know, it, the world as a whole uh, started doing very similar things, right? There might've been little little differences of how long you had to isolate or, right? Yeah. But in general, they said, hey, as a world, we should start wearing masks. Right. As a world, we're going to encourage people to get vaccines. Yeah. As a world, we're going to um, try to beat this together, right? Yeah. Now, there are some countries that were able to acquire a vaccine sooner. There are some countries that had you know, slightly longer delays, but uh, from my observations, there was no country that went like crazy, crazy heavy and saying like, hey, let's just take control of the people and manipulate the situation for what it is, right? What, what um, do you mean by that? You're saying there's no country or state or province that did that? Because I mean, my state did that. So what do you, what do you mean? Gotcha. No okay, sorry. In, in my view then, uh, I don't feel that there was a, that there, there was a country that... Um, completely took advantage of the situation to say, let's, um, let's, you know, control the people and need to jail them for no reason. Right. Okay. Uh, and now I might be wrong about that, but that's just my, my feeling. Sure. Um, so then with that, you know, now we're two years later, uh, and again, uh, where I am 90 ish percent of the population, 90 percent ish of the population is vaccinated. Yeah. You know, the fact that, some of the, the mandates are being lifted, you know, not fully based on health recommendations, but a little bit more politically motivated. Yeah. I personally feel safer knowing that 90% of the population is vaccinated, right? Okay. Um, so, you know, that to me is uh, a safer decision than going back two years ago saying, hey, you know, 1% of the population is vaccinated, let's lift everything, right? Okay. Uh, also, from speaking with uh, a number of um, health officials, um, they're always going to err on the side of extra caution, right? Yes, so yes. it's never going to be perfectly safe until the, this virus is, is fully gone, right? So right. on the other hand, it's also hard to fully trust those recommendations when they're trying to be as safe as possible, right? So there has to be a, a medium or a middle ground between right politicians saying, hey, let's start to open things up so that, you know, we can gain momentum for the election versus the other hand saying, hey, let's be as safe as possible to make it through this, right? There has to be somewhere. And in general, Canadians are sort of saying, hey, we're comfortable with opening up a little bit, even though it's not perfectly safe. Okay. And what do the, if you represent the mindset of the majority of Canadians, uh, what do they think of the adverse event profiles of the current vaccination rollout? Because it's such a large rollout, by definition, you're going to have some more adverse events than we usually see. So if it's point point zero 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 one percent whatever. Because uh, at the moment, those who are trying to say, hey, there's some adver- adverse events, they're getting squashed. What did the majority think? Do they think there are no adverse events? Because that's what I'm finding. People in Australia saying there are none. And our government website's saying, actually, you know, there's a little bit. Right. Um, so 
it, it is hard to find data in Canada on these adverse um, events, uh, as you stated. Um, and where you do find uh, some of those stories, it is connected to other anti-vaccine yeah. uh, theories as well, right? So it's, it's sort biased, of, yeah, for sure, right? Um, so my uh, my wife actually works in uh, a heart institute where they take oh. care of uh, heart transplants, yeah. um, candidates, and heart transplant surgeries and yeah. uh, fake. Uh, uh, hearts, et cetera. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she, she just yelled at me. If there's not called fake hearts, artificial hearts. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, they, they also are, you know, warning people that there are some, you know, potential adverse reactions as well. Right. So uh, there's, they certainly do exist, but the percentage is extremely low um, where, the science community, and this is my um, feeling as well, right? To say that, hey, out of this point, whatever zero 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 one percent chance that this is going to happen to you, mm-hmm. right? Are you okay with that? Or right? And if if you are, and that's you know maybe a higher risk category than that, uh, you know, I do feel that doctors are having that conversation with people, right? Sure. So why are they go? I'm curious about this. I don't know the answer to this, but why are they going after children? This is what's really screwing up with my mind here because I've got kids, you've got kids, they're both young. Mm-hmm. We know we know from literally Fauci and, you know, the mainstream people up there, science, saying that kids have such an extremely low risk, especially with the Omicron variant. It's ridiculous. It's, for them, the Omicron is is better than the flu, right? Flu kills more children. But um, they're, they're going hard after vaccine mandates, both from a government level and a, a social level here in here in Victoria. We're making our kids multiple instances in public schools and making our kids stand up if they're not unvaccinated. We're, we're saying it's a little year three, year two. So they're like eight, seven and eight years old. We're, ice, we're singling them out in class and making them feel socially pariahed unless they get vaccinated, but they're seven years old. How is this? What, why would they? I don't understand why they're doing that. Um, so, so I guess from, a, we'll say like a medical standpoint, mm. that until there's this community or herd immunity, right, that the virus can keep on mutating and can keep on spreading and can get stronger, right? So Omicron, um, you know, is is a milder version of the virus for sure, but maybe the next variant could be super strong, right? So. I know I personally am for overall making sure that as much of the world if possible is vaccinated to, to give us this community immunity, right? So just because uh, in Australia and in Canada, we're in the 90 percentile of people getting vaccinated. There's other countries in the world that are just sort of starting their journey and mutations can start there. Right. So, um, you know, the fact that, kids are being uh, asked or the parents are being asked to consent their children to be vaccinated to me is not an unreasonable conversation. Okay. But um, what about the the danger? So we will, ha- we just talked about adverse events, even if it's small at some point, if the risk of COVID to a child goes down and down and down at some point, it's going to meet match and perhaps exceed the r- adverse event risk for, you know, for example, our, our government, we TGA at the moment is reporting that we have some children aged five to seven years old with heart attacks. 
hmm. from 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 a, from a Pfizer dose. Now that may be one in a trillion children, whatever you want to find. That's not my point. My point is, at for that particular child, it would have been better to catch Omicron. Now they've got, in some cases, vaginal hemorrhage, chest pains, heart attacks. Like it's all over the shop. So it's got to be a balance, right? At some point, we've got to say, okay, maybe don't. And our chief medical officers of Australia now are saying, Dr. Nick Coatesworth is saying, no, let's not vaccinate a five-year-old. Hmm. Right. So um, my stance would be that hopefully I would have uh, our medical community could make this analysis and say that, hey, you know what, based on the trend of you know, COVID-19 mm. uh, and its different variants, you know, when is that that risk ratio saying that, hey, it's better to not get vaccinated, right? So uh, right now, the medical community is saying that it's still uh, advantageous for everybody to get vaccinated. Mm. And I have no reason to go against these guidelines, right? Mm. Uh, so that's kind of where I am. And then to go back to the, to the school vaccination of, you know, having kids stand up if they're vaccinated or not, uh, it does seem like from a social experiment to be um, more cruel than, than it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, but in Canada, and, and from what I know, it's the same in Australia, to be vaccinated in order to attend school is not a foreign concept, right? Up until even now, there's a huge list of vaccines that you have to have before you're allowed to enter the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just adding in COVID-19 to that is not... Um, not not a wild concept to me. Can I move on to um, to round out this interview? What is the general view of Australians uh, in Canada? What do you guys think of us? Especially what we did to <laughs> Novak Djokovic and just everything. I don't know. How do you see us? Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, there are a decent amount of uh, Australians that come to work in Canada. Mm. Um, a lot of seasonal work, right? Working at our ski resorts or working yeah. in, I don't know, in the summertime, we have a whole bunch of whitewater rafting and whatever, canoeing and things like that, right? So uh, the gap year, things like that, right? Uh, Australians come. So uh, in general, right? We we certainly have a great time. Uh, everybody that comes to, to Canada to work, uh, you know, in general, super outgoing people here for a good time. Um so I think, you know, from uh, the stereotype, if you will, of an Australian is, you know, very uh, fun, open, um, jolly people, right? Mm. Uh, the news that would make it from Australia to Canada on any type of event, right? Uh, the horrible wildfires at the start of 2020, that obviously made it. Uh, very little about the COVID-19 mandates um, and what you guys have gone through have made it to the mainstream news here in Canada. What about Djokovic? Um, I think that story definitely made it um, to Canada as well. Uh, And, you know, I don't think there was the news that made it wasn't like crazy opposing view to what our government was doing and, and the support that our government had. Okay. Sounds like we're very much similar, like our countries and our people. I, and- I, I would say that for sure. Okay. And this is interesting because if your views represent more of the majority and I'm finding of the past years, my views representing more of a minority, the distrust of government, the libertarian type American attitude, uh, I'm finding myself 
out of step with a lot of my fellow Australians. At least I'm being told that. Gotcha. And, uh, okay. Yeah. How, how, does, how does that make you feel? Right. Um, initially, I worried about it because I wanted to be like everyone else. You want to be part of the crowd. It's a, you know, I've spoken to some very, very intelligent professors on this podcast about this, about tribal group dynamics and so on. And I wanted to be part of it. But there's some things I can't abide. Like I, at the moment, our mask mandate's gone in Victoria. And mm-hmm. we have a lot of people still wearing it's less than 50% now. We've gone from like 90 something percent mask wearing all across. I just drove to Sydney and back to Melbourne. So I've seen a lot of places in the last few weeks. We've gone from 90% of people wearing masks. And at the same time, the mask mandates came off in Sydney and Melbourne. And now we've gone to like 10% or less wearing masks. And this is the correct way to do it because now I'm starting to hear messages from authorities saying, hey, this is the benefits that masks could have. And so they're trying to convince mm. people. And that's great because 10% are still wearing them, which is way higher than it ever was in the past. So there is a choice now whether to wear it or not. And as someone who, uh, so I, I'm not, I don't wear masks, um, but this is the first time I've been open to the idea of, okay, well, tell me why uh, wearing a mask could help while I'm sick. Because we all stay home when we're sick, generally. Right. You know, I, don't, I don't want to spread my cold. But for the last two years, I've just been threatened with fines and that has not worked on me at all. It's not going to make me wear a mask. You need to convince <laughs> people. So, I, so to, to answer your question, I find that I don't want to, I'm happy to be in the minority if I feel like I'm seeing it clearly. This is a, this is a more sustainable way. For example, vaccinations, right? Uh, I'm so vaccinated, it's, it's not funny. Uh, and I was vaccinating my kids uh, like a year ago, not just before the COVID-19 vaccines came out, right? But then when they told me I had to get vaccinated and they told me my children had to get vaccinated and I wasn't allowed to ask what the adverse event profiles are because if you ask a GP in Australia what it is, they won't tell you because our APRA, who I've dealt with as an owner of a medical clinic, have told them you cannot say anything but the government lines. I've seen the letters. APRA are very scary. Uh, that undermines trust in vaccines. So here's a prediction for you. In a year from now, in two years from now, in five years from now, we're going to have trouble with measles vaccines, rubella vaccines, polio vaccines, because we have just splintered off a a huge percentage, maybe another 5% or another 10% into the anti-vaxxer camp unnecessarily. Hmm. Um, I I would agree with that statement uh, in part. So there's definitely more people that are, and it's funny from my experience speaking with people that are uh, against COVID, they're saying, no, I'm only against this COVID-19 vaccine. I'm not against all vaccines. And I would say that's most people have said that. So I think it'd be interesting to, to wait and see in five years if there are truly more people that, that are against this. Um, I would, I don't think your theory is wrong. Uh, I just have hope. I just have hope that uh, that's not true. Give me hello. Hello. Hi, Sophia. Oh, hi, Sophia. I've met you before. You're famous now. You're famous now. Tim, I'll let you go. Listen, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us a view of me. Yeah, and giving us a view of what I think most Canadians, I would agree with you that you represent most Canadians and probably most Australians as well. Uh, I'm, I'm sad to hear some of the, um, 
the way that the truck convoy went and the way it was perceived as well. Would, I would have preferred they succeeded and maybe did things a bit differently, but certainly succeeded. I do worry about um, leaders like Trudeau and um, our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Uh, they don't seem to be really listening to our people. But uh, it's good to know uh, we're able to have these conversations. This is what we're all about. So thank you very much for talking with us. Yeah.